like to hear encouraging words. Words like, you look great this morning. You're the best. You got the job. The test results are in and they were negative. I love you. Will you marry me? Yes, I will marry you. Will you go to prom with me? Yes, I will go to prom with you. As great as these words are, and many others like them to hear, they don't compare to the words that were spoken thousands of years ago by the angel to the ladies who were making their way to the tomb, expecting to see the dead body of Jesus. The angel said the words to the ladies, He is not here, He is risen. The tomb was empty because Jesus is alive. Darkness on Friday turned to light on Sunday. Despair on Friday turned to hope on Sunday. Fear on Friday turned to faith on Sunday. Sorrow on Friday turned to singing on Sunday. Death on Friday turned to life on Sunday. A funeral on Friday turned into a parade on Sunday. This all happened because Jesus is alive. He is risen. And we celebrate the risen Savior, Jesus, this morning. This Savior who is alive. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, victorious over sin and death, just like he said he would. Jesus actually spoke to his disciples and followers about his crucifixion and resurrection before his crucifixion and resurrection. He did this on Several occasions, one in particular is found in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Matthew wrote, while going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took his 12 disciples aside privately. So they're on their way, they're walking to Jerusalem, and he gets them together and he said to them on the way, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. He's talking about himself. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And he will be resurrected on the third day. Jesus, based upon this passage and others that we see in the Gospels, gave his life for us joyfully. Jesus gave his life for us lovingly. Jesus gave his life for us obediently. Jesus gave his life for us sacrificially. Jesus gave his life for us willingly. Jesus gave his life for us completely. Jesus fulfilled God's plan to provide everyone with an opportunity to have a relationship with him for all those who will believe in him by way of his perfect life, perfect death, and resurrection. And so we don't believe in a dead man. We believe in the risen Savior, King Jesus. We don't worship a dead man this morning. We worship the risen Savior, King Jesus. Amen? Amen. He is alive. He is risen. A young girl was talking to her mom one morning, and she said, Mom, she said, I wrote God a letter, and I want to read it to you. Mom said, well, okay, sweetheart. And she said this in her letter. She wrote these words, Dear God, Why do you allow the people that you have today to continue to die? 
why don't you just keep the ones you have now instead of having to make folks over and over and create more and more folks? Easter is God's answer to Alice's letter. Easter opens the way for God to keep us forever. We can live with God forever by our faith in Jesus because Jesus is alive. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to park here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll move around just a bit, but we'll spend most of our time in this passage this morning. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter uh, to the believers of the church in Corinth, and this chapter 15 in particular is the most extensive writing about the resurrection of Jesus in all of the scriptures. And so Paul gets right to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll begin reading verse 1. And Paul wrote these words, Now, brothers, I want to clarify to you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You were also saved by it. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless, unless, You believed to no purpose. Paul, here in verse 1, clarified or reminded the believers of the church in Corinth of the gospel he proclaimed to them. It was the same gospel he he proclaimed to everyone everywhere he went. It was the good news of the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of salvation that is available to everyone by faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Paul reminded them they received this gospel. They took their stand on this gospel. He told them in the first couple of verses that they were saved by their response to the gospel, which was through their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Paul then told them, And he reminded them that there are those, unlike them, there are those who hear the gospel, those who like the gospel, there are those who even believe the facts about the gospel, but do not receive the gospel by placing their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. He said, those are the folks who believe to no purpose. That means it's just an intellectual assent. That means they do not have saving faith. As James said, the demons believe in God and they shudder. And there he was talking about those who just acknowledge the truths about the gospel but never receive the gospel, never place their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. He then says by Sharing this reality in the first couple of verses, he said, those of us who do receive God's gift of salvation by God's grace alone through our faith alone in Christ Jesus alone, those who are saved, those who receive the gospel message, talking to these believers and to us this morning, those who are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus will hold to, endure, and persevere in their faith in Christ Jesus. As Charles Colson, an author and preacher, He's the founder of the Prison Fellowship. He said, the gospel is good news, but Jesus never said it was easy news. And so we see Paul here reminding them that this faith in Christ Jesus that he's talking about, that he's going to explain and make real clear, is a faith, a surrender of our life to Jesus, which comes with many blessings, and it also comes with responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities is that we persevere 
by the power of Christ, through our faith in Christ day by day. He then continues, he's setting it up, verse 3, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. The last of all, as to one of normally born, he also appeared to me. Paul here passed on as most important what he had received. In verse 3, Paul said, I am passing on to you through this letter what is most important. And I'm passing on to you what is most important, what I have already received myself. You see, we know Uh, The background to the Apostle Paul, we know that Jesus himself proclaimed the gospel of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. And we know that Paul received the gospel on the road to Damascus. We know that Paul was saved by his grace through his faith in Christ Jesus on the road to Damascus as Jesus confronted him and preached the gospel to him. We also know that Paul then began to share, preach, and teach to everyone, everywhere he went, this gospel that he was now passing on to them, that he was reminding them of, the truths of this all-important, most important gospel. And what Paul was wanting them to understand in this passage, in verses 3 through 8, is that the foundation of the gospel, the very core, base foundation of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ, is built on the resurrection of Jesus. It's built on the reality that Jesus is alive. You see, what Paul is going to help us understand is without the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel is meaningless. Without the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel really isn't all that good news at all. We see the foundation, the core of our faith, our trust in Christ, the gospel message is built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark Coppinger, a seminary professor and pastor, he said this, if we're not careful, we can lose sight of the truth that the reality of the Christian life, every aspect of it hinges on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Everything, the gospel message, hinges on the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since this is true, it makes perfect sense for us to begin to understand our enemy Satan attacks and targets the reality and the reliability of the resurrection over and over and over again. He's constantly attacking the resurrection, trying to create doubt that Jesus is alive. We see it in the scriptures, how the religious leaders tried to create doubt, tried to cover up the resurrection. And this was happening in Paul's day just like it is happening in our day, in the here and now. Paul talked about this. If you look down in verse 12, he began to speak about this. Paul said, now if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, which that's exactly what Paul and the other 
apostles and disciples were preaching, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So we know there were those <clears throat> at this time who were saying, well, Jesus didn't rise again. Yeah, resurrection is not true. There's no way that's right. He said, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. True. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation, and so is your faith. And he continued in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. He was sharing and making the clear argument, if there is no resurrection of Jesus, if he is not alive, if he is not risen from the dead, then we have no faith, we have no hope, and we have no forgiveness of sins. We have no hope for the future. We have no reason to be here. This is worthless. If there is no resurrection of Jesus Christ, then what I do is a colossal waste of time. What we're doing here this morning is a complete waste of time. But Paul continues in verse 20, and he clears it up very quickly. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. Say that with me. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul confidently declared that Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead because Paul saw Christ Jesus raised from the dead. He knew he was alive. The resurrection of Jesus, therefore, is most important to you, to me, to everyone. It has been dating back to Paul's day. It is today, and it will continue to be until Jesus returns for us. And so as we look at this passage, I want to identify just a a few points about the resurrection from this passage. Let's look at a few points that will help us today and this week in our ministry as we leave this place later this morning and we go into our mission fields and we are called by God to minister to those he places around us. This information can help us to continue not just to believe ourselves, but to help others believe as we minister to those that God's going to place around us. So let's look at these points. The first point is the confirmation of the resurrection. We see the confirmation here of the resurrection. We see that that Paul said, he made it clear in uh, verse 4, verse 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Then he said that he appeared And then he began to list those he appeared to. We have many confirmations. Thankfully, as Christ followers, we have many confirmations to the resurrection of Jesus. I'm just going to share two. I'm going to point two out that are right here. There's many more I could refer to, but we'll just look at the two that we see right here in this passage. The first is eyewitness accounts. The first confirmation is eyewitness accounts. We see that Paul said that Jesus Christ rose on the third day. He was raised back to life on the third day. That he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the 12, appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. He appeared to James, to all the apostles, and then last and not least, he appeared to me, Paul said. Luke told us in the book of Acts, he confirmed this, and he said that Jesus appeared over a period of 40 days to these eyewitnesses to confirm his resurrection to them, to confirm to them he indeed was alive. 
he appeared to them because he wanted them to make sure and understand that they understood and realized that he's alive. Just as he told them what was going to happen before it happened, he now came back to them for a period of 40 days and said, hey, remember, I told you this was going to happen, and here I am. It's happened. And so he even says to us that there were some who have already fallen asleep. That means some of these eyewitnesses had already passed away, but he said most of them are still alive. The eyewitnesses of Jesus who were still alive at this time were not quiet about Jesus. Listen, they were going around telling everybody about Jesus. As the church spread out from uh, Jerusalem all throughout the Roman world, as it even spread into the city of Corinth, man, those witnesses for Jesus, they were telling everyone about Jesus. And so we see eyewitness accounts. That's one confirmation. A second confirmation right here in this passage is the Old Testament scriptures. He said in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The scriptures that Paul is referring to here are the Old Testament scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. And what he was saying was this, remember, brothers and sisters in Christ in the town of Corinth, remember that in the Old Testament that they knew, in the Old Testament, the authors, some of the prophets from the Old Testament, they predicted, they prophesied about this Messiah, this Savior, this Jesus who was to come into the world to provide salvation for all who would believe in him. They predicted and prophesied about this Savior who was going to come and give his life as a ransom for many and that he would rise again on the third day. They did this. They prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. The prophets spoke about this. They predicted the resurrection of Jesus hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever happened. Before it happened. The Old Testament scriptures predicted the resurrection of Jesus. The New Testament scriptures, which we have now as part of the canon of scripture, announced the resurrection of Jesus. So for us this morning, we not only have the Old Testament scriptures as these believers did, but we have the New Testament scriptures. We have the whole canon of God's word and all of it is a testimony to the same truth and that truth is this, Jesus is alive. And so we know the confirmation of the resurrection means Jesus is alive so we can believe. We can believe. When people talk about believing in Jesus, understand and realize this is not a blind faith. We're not talking about a blind faith in Jesus. We're talking about a reasonable faith built on the truths of God's word, built on the facts of Scripture. It's clear. It's obvious. We see Jesus is alive. Secondly, I want you to see the second point is the celebration of the resurrection. I tell you, the followers of Jesus celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. They rejoiced in the resurrection of Jesus. If you take time, maybe later this week, I would encourage you to do so, go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and just read all of their different accounts, their different descriptions of the scene after the resurrection. And read how they described for us in their own ways and there were some differences in their descriptions. Just read how they described the initial responses by the ladies and the disciples upon first placing their eyes on the risen Savior Jesus. It's awesome to look back and to see what they saw and just to think about what must have been going on in their minds. 
Their reactions are a combination of feelings of awe and amazement, reverential fear, and pure, overwhelming joy, as the gospel writers tell us. One of these, John, in John's gospel, John chapter 20, I want to read just one of these accounts. In verse 19, John wrote these words, in the evening of that first day of the week. So in the evening of that first day, that Sunday when Jesus rose again, that night, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked. Get the picture now, because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side where the spear went in. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. You think? Wow! Our English language kind of loses some power there when the writer says they rejoiced. You bet they rejoiced. I mean, just imagine that. These folks are all gathered together. It wasn't but a couple of days before when they watched their king crucified on the cross, put in the tomb, sealed up, soldiers around it. It's now the evening time. They're all gathered together. They're trying to figure out what's going on, what they can do, what they need to do. They're trying to sort things out in their minds. They got the doors locked. They're all huddled in this room. They got the doors locked because they're afraid of the same Jews, the religious leaders, the scribes who had crucified Jesus, of finding out they were followers of Jesus, which could result in the same opportunity and the same death for them. And so they're hiding, and all this is going on in their minds. They're thinking about this, the sorrow, the grief, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes in. Woo, man. He comes in and he says, here I am, look, look. And in the original language, this word rejoiced, it it means this. It'll give you a little bit more of an idea of what it means. It means they rejoiced. (laughs) They were glad. They were overjoyed. That word literally means they were full of exceeding joy. The disciples in that room rejoiced exceedingly. Why? Because Jesus was alive. The disciples then, as you continue to read, praised God, worshiped God, celebrated. Why? Because Jesus was alive. You see, the truth of the matter is simply this. The word was out. The news was out. And it couldn't be stopped, silenced, or contained. And quite honestly, no one will ever be able to stop, silence, or contain the news. The news that Jesus is alive, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And so we see the celebration of the resurrection means Jesus is alive so we can rejoice. You and I this morning, we can rejoice just as we were doing through song, through fellowship and encouragement with one another and blessing one another. We can rejoice together as we study the word together during these moments. We can rejoice and celebrate because we know Jesus is alive. The third point, real clear here in this passage, is the salvation through the resurrection. The salvation through the resurrection. We see that it can't be more clear. Don't miss this amazing verse 3 and 4. Paul just makes it so clear, so simple, so powerful. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Christ died, was buried, he rose again. That's the good news of the gospel right there. 
simple, sweet, delicious, powerful, practical for you and me. So let's look at this salvation through the resurrection. Truth is, there's only one requirement that we have to meet in order to have a relationship with God. One simple requirement, that's it. May be surprising, but there really is only one requirement to have a relationship with God, and that requirement is be perfect. Be perfect. God is perfect and holy, so if we want to have a relationship with God, we got to be perfect and holy. And that's a problem for us because we understand and realize that we're not perfect and holy. The Bible tells us that we're sinners. That means that we have all said, thought, and done things against God that are unpleasing to God. The Bible tells us that our sin separates us from God. And that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to get rid of our sin and get to God on our own. The Bible also tells us that the payment for our sin, the justice we deserve for our sin, the result of our sin that we deserve, the sin that we have against God, is to spend eternity separated from God in a very real and painful place called hell. Simply put, we need help to get to God. We need someone who can take away our sin for us and bring us to God because we can't do it ourselves. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of knowledge that we can attain. There's no amount of money we can give that would balance out and erase the sin in our lives against God that would allow us to get to the level of perfection and holiness like God. It's not going to happen. So we need help. We need someone who can take away our sin and bring us to God because we can't do it ourselves. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus can do it. Amen? Jesus can do it. Jesus is the one and only one who can take away our sin. Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. You see, the reason is Jesus is the one who met God's standard. Jesus is the one who satisfied God's demand, the standard of demand of perfection and holiness. Jesus is the one and only one who met God's standard as he lived a perfect life for you and for me. We know that the scriptures teach us that Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned and he died a perfect death. You see, here's the reality of the situation. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin once and for all for you and me because he went through his entire life having never sinned. He met the standard. He fulfilled the goal, and that was to live a perfect life. We have failed. But that, on that account, but Jesus Christ, he met that standard. He lived a perfect life. And when he died on the cross, which is why his death is so vitally important for you and me, he defeated sin for us once and for all. But you see, when Jesus rose again on the third day, he defeated death, which is more important to us because in defeating death, he then threw open the doors for us to have a way to receive forgiveness of sins and to enter into a relationship with God, which is by our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. So this news that Paul shared here is life-changing. It is and always will be most important. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for sin. He is your perfect sacrifice for sin. He is my perfect sacrifice. He, according to Peter, is the once for all sacrifice for mankind. The righteous one, Jesus, died for the unrighteous ones, us, to bring us to God. Paul said, God made him who had no sin, that being Jesus Christ, to be 
sin for us. He took our sin upon himself on the cross so that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the reality. As I stand before God, I am unrighteous. I am unholy. I am imperfect. And God sees my sin and my sin separates me from God. But because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, because of my faith and trust in him, by God's grace at work in my life, and the same testimony is yours as well this morning as followers of Jesus Christ. When God sees us, he sees the blood of his son Jesus Christ has covered and washed away our sin and we stand righteous before God. We are right with God, not because of ourselves or what we've done, but because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. We are made right with God through faith in Jesus. That is simply amazing. We can receive forgiveness of sins and we can enter into a relationship with God by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. Why? Because Jesus is alive. He is risen. So we see the salvation through the resurrection means Jesus is alive so we can receive him. We can receive him. We can receive God's gift of love and life, forgiveness of sins, and salvation by placing our faith in Jesus. We can do that this morning in just a few minutes. And so I also want you to see the fourth point. The fourth point, it's a wonderful point. It's the proclamation of the resurrection. Don't forget to see the proclamation of the resurrection. Look and see what we find here. Paul heard, received, and passed on the gospel message of salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. The disciples then heard, received, and passed on the gospel message of salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. We now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to pass on what we have heard and what we have received, which is the gospel message of salvation by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. It's our turn now our turn. Jesus did his part. These men and women who we read about who've gone before us have done their part. It's our turn to do our part now. See, Jesus told us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. What Jesus wants us to understand once again this morning is simply this. We are witnesses for King Jesus. We are ambassadors for King Jesus. We are representatives everywhere we go, everything we do, every word we speak, every thought we think. We are representatives of King Jesus, and we are called to live for Jesus, to love others like Jesus, and to tell others about Jesus. We get to tell others the good news of the Savior. He's alive. And just as he's changed us, he can change you. What an awesome message we get to share. And so we see the proclamation of the resurrection means Jesus is alive so we can tell others about him. We get to tell others the way to true change in life. If you truly want to see change in your life, and I'm not just talking about the furniture in the living room or the clothes in your closet or the meal that you choose to eat here in a few minutes. I'm talking about real true change in life. If you're at a point in time in your life where you want to see true change, that you, you're done with the way things have always been, 
And you want to see change. And I can tell you right now, true change happens in one place and one place only through one person and one person only. True change happens by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Scripture says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old way of life, the old things have passed away. And look, all things are new. Look, new life is available in Christ Jesus. And then we see the fifth point. It's real clear. It's the anticipation. The anticipation of the resurrection. We see in this passage of Scripture the awesome reality that we see that Paul said that Jesus rose. He was raised to life on the third day. We know that Jesus appeared to his followers and eyewitnesses for a period of 40 days. What happened after that? Jesus ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the throne of God where he sits and remains today interceding for you and for me. We know because Jesus told us that what that means is he's coming back for us one day. Hey, listen, Jesus is coming back for us. And we know and understand we will spend eternity with Jesus because of the gift of salvation that he has extended us by our faith in him. Jesus himself told us about the reality of the anticipation that we live with every single day. Listen, I can tell you right now, Jesus could come back. He could split the sky. The trump could sound. It could happen right now at any moment. What a great way to go right now. Wow. What a great way. That's the anticipation we live with as followers of Jesus Christ. day by day. Jesus told us about this in his own words in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Listen to what Jesus said. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. He was talking about after he rose again, after he appeared for them for 40 days, he was going to ascend back in heaven, which is exactly what he did. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Say that with me. I will come back and receive you to myself. So that I, where I am, you may be also. You know the way where I am going. And Thomas said, whoa, 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 Lord. Whoa, whoa. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The one and only way into a relationship with God. The one and only way to receive forgiveness of sins. The one and only way to spend eternity with God in heaven one day is by placing our faith and trust in the risen Savior, King Jesus. He is alive. And we can know him because of his sacrifice and his great love for us. And so we see the anticipation in the resurrection. Since Jesus is alive, we can watch for his return. Hey, he's coming back and we need to be ready. Amen? We need to be ready. And even in verse, in chapter 15, if you look all the way to the end of chapter 15, Paul even affirms that we need to be ready. He said in the very last verse, therefore, because he's coming back, as Paul said in verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, but therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord 
is not in vain. Stay ready. Live ready. Be ready. Because Jesus is coming back for us. I read a story about a lady by the name of T. Nava. And T was uh, 80 years old. And as an 80-year-old woman, she was giving her testimony in a church in Manila in the Philippines. And T was sharing her testimony, and she started out by sharing that she had spent a career as a college professor and administrator. She had risen high in the college where she taught. She was well thought of. She spent years as a professor and then as an administrator. And she shared her story that towards the end of her career of work, and as she was getting older and towards the end of her career of work, she started a search for God. She said, there was just something missing in my life. And as I was coming to the end of my career, I, I just wanted to find out if what I was missing maybe was, was God. She said, I really wanted to find out and I really wanted to have a relationship with a living being rather than some statue. I wanted to have a relationship with a living being. So she said, I began my search. She said, I started searching and reading and investigating. She said, a friend of mine told me and encouraged me to attend a Bible study group at an evangelical church that was close to where she lived. And T said, well, I thought it couldn't hurt. Uh, maybe it won't help, but it, it's going to hurt because I'm, I'm wanting to find out more. So why not? So she said she, she made her way and she went to the Bible study group and she said she found herself going back and back and back week after week. She said, the more I went back, she said, I heard over and over again the truths about Jesus. And she said, not only did I hear it, but she said, I saw the love of Jesus poured out of these folks to me over and over and over again. And she said, it all began to make sense. And she said, as an 80-year-old standing in this church, giving her testimony, she said, at that point in time, after one of the groups, I opened my heart to Jesus. She said, I placed my faith and trust in him. So I was born again. I received new life with God through faith in Jesus. And she said, the most amazing thing happened. She said, Jesus took away my sharp tongue, my critical spirit, and my intellectual pride. She said, it was amazing. He took all of that away that I had built my life on. 
this pride that I had. And he said he replaced all those things with joy. She said it was, it was this indescribable joy. She said, I couldn't control it. It's joy that I had in Jesus. She said, it wasn't shortly after that that I began seeing all my friends that I had taught with and that I had worked with, and we interacted often as we would do. And she said, it wasn't long until they got me together. They all came and they they literally looked at me and they said, we think you have contracted a deadly communicable disease. (laughs) And with a smile on her face and a twinkle in her eye, she said, I hope I can contaminate every one of them. God wants us to live out our life for Jesus. God wants us to spread the love of Jesus to everyone around us. God wants us to spread the truth about Jesus to everyone around us. There's a reason for this, and that is God loves us, and he wants a relationship with us. You see, what God wants us to make sure that everyone around us knows is that Jesus is alive, Jesus loves you, and Jesus wants a relationship with you, and the scriptures make it clear, as we've shown this morning, We have to understand and realize that we're sinners. We've all sinned against God, and we're separated from God because of our sin against God. We have to understand we need a Savior. We need someone who can get us to God, who can take away our sin, because we can't on our own. We have to believe Jesus is a Savior because it's clear, abundantly clear, that Jesus took our place and paid our price for sins on the cross that he is the perfect sacrifice for you and me that we so desperately need. And then we just simply must believe in him and receive him into our life. It's our Savior and Lord. Paul said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. John said, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believed in his name. Change happens in Jesus. Change can happen right here, right now by faith in Jesus. Will you receive the gift of love and life, forgiveness of sins and salvation by faith in Jesus? Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Worship team is going to come and lead us.